Church of Christ presents Lift Up, Repeat, a reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, September 20th, 2020. About 10 years ago, I took a van load full of teenagers to the San Carlos Apache Reservation in Arizona for a week of volunteering. As usual, with trips arranged by this particular nonprofit, we spent the week sleeping at a campground just to give us a small window of solidarity into the life of those who are housing insecure. The days we spent doing the kind of construction work that requires very little training on day one and no prior experience at all. Hanging drywall, mudding, and laying flooring. Remembering always the wise advice, measure twice, cut once. The house we were working on was on top of a mesa with gorgeous views across the desert reservation and a constant breeze, which made the 114 degree heat bearable, but just. To combat the dehydrating effects of that kind of heat and dry wind, we were up at five o'clock in the morning and on our way to the work site by quarter till six so that we could work in the coolest part of the day. On our second morning, we stopped at Home Depot. I had no idea that Home Depot even opened at such an hour because I'm not an early riser when I'm at home. But at least in that town, at that time of year, it was open. Like I said, not a morning person. So I stayed in the van and let others do the shopping. And I sat there working on the roster for the day of which kids would be assigned to which jobs. Our white 15 passenger van is the universal symbol of a delegation of off-reservation do-gooders. And we soon had several people lined up at the window asking if we had brought food and supplies to share. We had, and I hopped out of the front seat to dig them out of the cargo section in the far back of the van. But by the time I stood upright, all but one of the men had vanished. Quickly, he told me, quick, quick. And he all but snatched the bag of food I was extending to him out of my hand. He shouted his thank you as he ran across the parking lot. I was confused and I wondered if I had offended him and all the others as well. But as I watched that one who had stayed behind to get the food at the last minute and then dash across the parking lot, I understood. He went to join a group of men who were standing on a sidewalk, waiting. And at that moment, two trucks had pulled up with the name of a, uh, the logo of a construction company on the side of their truck. The men had been waiting for that moment. The guy in the passenger seat of one of the vans jumped down and began pointing at the men. You and you and you. And they immediately jumped into the back of the pickup truck. For the next quarter of an hour, I watched as every few minutes that scene replayed itself. A truck would roll up. A worker would get out and start pointing at men and they would jump in and they would roll off. Sometimes the men doing the hiring greeted the workers by name. Sometimes they seemed to be looking for a particular worker, maybe someone they knew, someone they knew had a particular skill or someone they knew had a great work ethic. 
or maybe just someone with a good sense of humor that they liked to work with. One man who had been one of the ones to ask about food stayed on the sidewalk area where the hiring was happening, but he kept an anxious eye on the van. When he saw the rest of our work team, obvious because of our matching t-shirts, walking across the parking lot toward the van, he came with them to ask again about food, shrugging and saying, no work for me today, I guess. He and some others were still there on the sidewalk outside Home Depot when we went back for sandpaper and several more tape measures. Somebody had forgotten to measure twice. This may be a 2000 year old economic pattern, but it was the first time in my sheltered life that I had seen firsthand both the freedom and the precarity of hiring oneself out as a day laborer. And I always think now of that particular week of volunteer work when I hear today's gospel story about the laborers hired to work in the vineyard, about the ones who were hired at six o'clock in the morning, at nine and noon, and those who didn't get chosen until three, and those who were still waiting at five o'clock. I think about the good humor of the man not chosen in the Home Depot parking lot in Arizona. I think about a life not just of labor, but of labor and therefore pay that is uncertain and uneven. My only experience of physical labor has been on volunteer trips. I'm a dabbler, a visitor to the world of manual work. I hope I have been a respectful guest and not just a tourist, but I have never depended on the physical labor to pay for a single day's food in my life. But even these short visits to the world of manual work lead me to suspect of myself that if I had been hired early, I would have been one of the outraged ones. If I had worked 12 hours in the 114 degree Arizona heat and some Joe Schmo showed up at five worked one hour just as the ferocious heat of the day was beginning to subside and was given the exact same wage? Unfair, I would rebel. I suspect many of us would be bitter and resentful to be given no more for 12, 12 hours of work than the other guy got for one, or even three or six or nine. Fair is fair, after all. Now, some people say that this story is really an allegory and it's all about heaven. And it means that the owner of the vineyard is like God, who gives the same welcome to the Jews who have been under the covenant for hundreds of years, and early Jewish converts to the Jesus way, and late coming Gentiles who found their way to the Jesus community all equally welcomed by God, all equally part of God's realm. Maybe. Some people say it is a story about the difference between equality, where everyone is treated the same, and equity, when everyone has what they need, and those who cannot work 12 hours are still provided a living wage. 
Yes. And I think it is also a story about the generosity of God. Not only the generosity of God, but the abundant generosity, mutual support, and communal reciprocity that should belong to everyone made in God's image, everyone living toward the realm of God. A generosity that has as much to do with life on this earth as it does with life beyond this earth. In Jesus's world, day laborers were protected by the law. Jewish law stipulated that day workers should be paid what was customary for all workers in the city where they were hired. Fed, if it was the local custom, to hire all, if to feed all workers. They were not to be kept at work longer than the usual workers. It even seems that some wool dyers and bakers, for example, had guilds, an ancient form of union, to protect them from exploitation. Protection for all workers was expected. Jesus, in the tradition of the rabbis before him, expanded on this idea in his story about the righteous landowner and the way he treated his laborers. Because, of course, not only does the householder pay the laborers a fair wage for a day's work, he pays full wages for all. The ability to buy food for a family, no matter what the reason for the delay in hiring, is protected. We don't know where the latecomers of the story were not chosen earlier. Luck? Because they didn't know the landowner and the others did? Because they were known to not be such great workers? Maybe because they came late to the marketplace to look for work because they had been caught up at home with family. Maybe they just woke up with a headache and couldn't get there till later. Perhaps they had already done half a day's labor for someone else and were trying to pick up a few extra hours to make a full day's worth of wages. Jesus was silent on the why, which leads me to think the why isn't essential to know. We have the admonition that rather than allowing comparison to sap our enjoyment, to sap their enjoyment of their wages, the early birds were expected to be happy for the laborers who didn't get hired till late in the day. Because this is what the realm of God is like in Jesus's vision. Everyone, everyone, everyone has enough to eat. In that realm, people will work not for more pay for themselves alone, but for the benefit of all. Maybe those who grumble about unfair benefits to others today will be the ones desperate for any work they can get the next day. This is what God's realm is like, a place, a time, when those who have resources support laborers, all of them not just by aiding those at the doorstep, but by seeking out those who are in need, just as the householder did, going back and back again to the market to find people to hire. This is the responsibility of the rich, to bring the poor in, to treat them with an open hand. And this is the point of human work 
not just to feed ourselves and our immediate family, but to be part of the whole community having enough. I want to love this story, but it remains alien to my sense of fairness. People should get paid for the work they do, fairly and squarely, no matter what gender they are or what documents they have or lack, but for the work they did. Jesus, who is no individualist, does not see it that way. The point of work is to make sure that everyone is fed. In Jesus's economy, when we give food to the hungry, to hungry people through our donations to Clackamas Service Center, we are not doing something outrageously good. We are simply realigning things as they should be because it is unjust to have more food than you can eat while others are hungry. My own selfishness makes me a little afraid of this story, a little afraid of how radical it reveals Jesus to be, a little afraid of how self-centered and steeped in American individualism it reveals me to be. I'm trying to catch hold of the vision of a world of enough and more than enough for all. I'm trying to catch hold of what part I might have to play in that. As we move deeper into the season of political shouting, I'm trying to catch and hold on to this vision. The words of Paul to his beloved community at Philippi are helping me to avoid doom scrolling the news and just shouting in my head. Don't fret or worry. Paul wrote, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Keeping our eyes wide open to the real world we are in, aware of all that is wrong, of corruption and the deceit we deplore, we can at the very same time choose to give our energy to whatever is good, true, authentic, compelling, and gracious. We can lift up, repeat, and amplify stories, true stories of goodness. The stories that the world wants to drown out in our current shouting. We can hold fast to the vision of a world of enough and more than enough for all. When that vision comforts us and even when that vision challenges us. Amen.
Listen, listen, listen. listen.